This is Ira Glass of This American Life, and you're listening to PF's Tape Recorder. Hello there, I'm PF. This is my tape recorder. Coming up, Wanda Sykes discusses working for the NSA, working on the new adventures of old Christine, and taking over the production duties of Last Comic Standing. They they approached us as you know as part of the deal. They said, "Look, we want to bring back Last Comic Standing. Are you guys interested in, in taking it over?" We said, "Yeah, but it has. We want to do invitation only, high caliber, you know, judges, you know, great hosts." We're more from Wanda in just a bit. The song of the week is from Churches, but first, of course, a dumb bit. Time for another installment of... It's Facebook, not Factbook. I actually saw this on Twitter, uh, but the sentiment is still the same, I guess, and I'm surprised that it didn't appear on Facebook as well. It was from my friends at Newsbusters, of course, who I quit following on uh, Facebook because, well, because of my sanity, quite frankly. And they tweeted out uh, this tweet involving uh, Lieutenant Governor of California Gavin Newsom's appearance on The Bill Maher Show real-time uh, back last Friday, or I guess two Fridays ago, depending when you are listening to this. Anyway, uh, the tweet says, On HBO, Gavin Newsom defends being a sitting duck at a mass shooting. Now, what was happening was uh, Gavin Newsom was being interviewed by Bill Maher, like he does at the beginning of uh, his program, and he was asking about the, the gun control. And Maher, in a playing devil's advocate, said, well, you know, well, here's, here's what he said. Donald Trump says if Paris had guns... Yeah. Uh, I know. I just, I mean, this sort of mythology of the, the, the gun, a guy with a gun that's going to come save the day. I mean, right. Sort of right out of the movies, sort of this gunslinging fantasy. And then Marr plays devil's advocate because a lot of people say, well, you know, maybe it would be a good idea if maybe at least an off-duty cop or military were allowed to carry concealed firearms. Uh, the reality is it's most likely to create more harm, more damage, uh, more lost lives uh, in those circumstances. But... You know, really? So if you were in a restaurant and a crazy gunman came in, you wouldn't want to have a gun? Well, I, You'd I, rather just be shot? Well, I, I would hope that the folks sitting next to me that haven't been trained, uh, that don't necessarily don't respond well under stressful circumstances, don't get up and then start pointing the trigger or pointing, pointing a gun and shooting. But hasn't the uh, worst thing already thing. happened? A crazed man, man who's bent on killing everyone. How could it get worse? And again, I get the argument. Anecdotally, there have been stories about, uh, you know, people walking into a bar and trying to shoot up the place and someone actually having a gun in the bar, which just does not sound like a good idea. But uh, thwarting the effort and, you know, and, and taking the guy out or, or the gal out, over the case maybe, uh, I think it was a guy that heard the story in Wisconsin. But it, statistically speaking, like Governor Newsom says, if you're not trained in that kind of a situation, not a good idea. Now he says not trained. Maybe he leaves the door open to maybe maybe ex-military and off-duty cops would be allowed to do that. But so, of course, Newsbusters is very excited that Bill Maher uh, was being uh, very conservative in that case. And Maher himself has even said on his show that, you know, he has a gun at his home because he, there's nuts out there. So and no one wants to take away your guns, people. We just want you to act responsibly. OK, it's big, big difference. And secondly, I can understand, again, that argument. It, it seems, you know, logical, which, you know, if especially if you have been trained in the use of firearms, you would think, well, shoot, I, you know, <laughs> no pun intended. You, you'd think, shoot, I would, you know, I know what I'm doing. I, you could trust me. Of course, now when the cops rush in it, while the shooting is going on and you're holding a gun, mm, you know, things might not go so well. It's like the old airplane versus the car traveling thing. People would rather drive than fly because you're more likely to survive a car crash 
than an airplane crash. Two problems with that is there's way, way more car crashes than there are airplane crashes. And secondly, while you think you have more control of your car because you're driving it, you can't control the other drivers. So statistically speaking, plane's safer, but in your head you think, no, car is probably safer because I can control what's going on. Okay, so in the course of looking for that, that's part one of Facebook, not Factbook. In the course of looking that up, I went to the Newsbusters Facebook page to see, well, this must have been posted on Facebook, so they could believe you a true it's Facebook, not Factbook. Well, it's not, but what I did find was this interesting thing about uh, Hillary Clinton, uh, allegedly her campaign uh, threatened the Laugh Factory, and I don't know if it's the one in Los Angeles or Chicago. I've gotten two different stories on this. It seems to be the one in Los Angeles. A bunch of comedians went up, told some jokes about Hillary, and then uh, this, well, here, this, here's what happened from KTLA in Los Angeles. But the owner of the legendary Laugh Factory told Judicial Watch the Clinton presidential campaign didn't find the lines amusing. Jamie Masada says someone called him claiming to be from the Clinton campaign, demanding the comedy club take down the post. And I don't know this this phone call was, it was fake phone call, whatever it was, but, you know, it's happened. Okay, so what happened was the Laugh Factory uh, posted this medley of jokes about Hillary Clinton on their website, uh, including this very funny one from Greg Fitzsimmons. She looks like she's playing linebacker for TJ Maxx. That's a great joke. And there's all, all kinds of other funny ones. Dom Herrera's on there. Okay, so uh, apparently they, they posted this, and then as the owner of the club said, that he got a phone call from someone claiming to be from the Clinton uh, campaign. Well, anyway, uh, this was he called Judicial Watch, which is a crazy right wing nut website. And uh, the thing is, that's who Newsbusters cites. And then Newsbusters does this a lot. Sometimes they get stuff right, and I, they almost made it this time. What they do is they'll link to some other crazy right wing website, and if you drill down far enough, you finally get to an actual fact. So you have to go to Judicial Watch's site, then Judicial Watch's site goes to the Laugh Factory, and then you see this, and it says Hillary versus the First Amendment. So this is a real thing. The the, uh, the Laugh Factory did post this, and they, they did get a phone call, but as even the club owner himself says... And I don't know this this phone call was... It was fake phone call, whatever it was, but, you know, it's happened. And then we get some more details later in the piece. Masada has said he only got a first name from the caller before hanging up. It's also not clear how Judicial Watch got this story in the first place. The online magazine Slate is reporting the Clinton campaign says it had nothing to do with the call and that Judicial Watch is standing by its story. And this part's very confusing. It's not clear how Judicial Watch got the story. You just told me that the club owner called Judicial Watch when this happened. That's how they got the story. So the Judicial Watch is standing by the word of the club owner, which is fine. I believe he got the phone call. Probably some Hillary supporter had their feelings hurt, and that's probably who called in. Because it just seems odd that someone would anonymously call on behalf of uh, Secretary Clinton and say, oh, you've got to take that down or we're going to put you out of business. It just, it just sounds made up. I mean, the, the call happened, I'm sure, but the idea that this someone would be would seriously from the Clinton campaign do that just sounds really, really made up. So, as always, kids. It's Facebook, not Factbook. This episode of PF's Tape Recorder is brought to you by Home Shirts Cleveland. For all of your Northeast Ohio vintage t-shirt needs, visit homeshirts.com forward slash Cleveland. You'll also find links to the original Cincy Shirts site, as well as Home Shirts Indianapolis, with more cities to come. That's homeshirts.com forward slash Cleveland. Now, on with the show. Wanda Sykes is a stand-up comedian originally from Washington, D.C., and you may know her as an actress from The New Adventures of Old Christine, or perhaps an obscure skit comedy show called The Downer Channel. We discussed that. 
And she's also the executive producer of Last Comic Standing. She took that over a couple of years ago along with her production partner. Here now is our interview with Wanda Sykes. Hello there. Hello. Um, Hi, P.S. How you doing? Good. You know, I have some recollection. We did this a long, long time ago for, like, Cleveland Scene, because I was refreshing my memory. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, and I remember us, I think, talking about your time with the NSA and stuff, and but then I, I don't remember. It's yeah. Been, it's been so long ago. But let's well, let's start there. You um used to work for the NSA. Um, do you reckon they're listening to our phone call right now? <laughs> Better not be. <laughs> I hope they, because they got better, you know, bigger fish to fry than us. So I think so. They better not be. There you go. Um, so, how did you get interested in, in working for them? Because I know you, you know, went high school, graduated, went to college, and then wound up there. How did was that always an interest of yours to work in government or? Uh, you know, it, it's it's like just proximity. You know, I was living in the Maryland D.C. area, and. You know, and like my dad, you know, he was in the army, and oh, okay, there's right. so much government work or government contractors, you know, in that area. So it's you kind of end up just in it, you know. Yeah. So and then, plus, plus, I thought it was pretty cool. Like, oh, okay, I work for, you know. And back then, we couldn't didn't say it was an essay. We used to, um, we we couldn't say we worked there, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. There's a big sign on the highway. <laughs> yeah. Oh really? I didn't know that. So it's hmm. Yeah, I remember yeah, growing up in the seventies. Yeah. You'd hear little bits and pieces about it, but then you would never, uh, you'd never know anything more. I guess it's, I guess it's a little more open now. So I guess that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. So, how'd you get interested in comedy? Were you was interested in comedy growing up, or did were you funny around the NSA and they said, "Hey, you should be on a stage somewhere, lady." <laughs> well, they, yeah, they said, "You know what? Uh, you need to get out of this business. It'll be funny." No, um, I, yeah, I always loved comedy, especially you know, as a kid, we watched all the. Um, yeah, you know, we they had comedy playing in the house. We always had those uh all those variety shows. You oh, know, yeah. we had you know, like from uh, you know, Laughing and uh Smothers Brothers and Flip Wilson and, you know, Richard Pryor had a, a, a variety show. So it was it was always comedy, you know, you know, going on in the house. So while you were at the NSA you had a notion to go to like an open mic and just try telling some jokes yourself? Um, actually, it wasn't even an open mic. I, I've never been to a comedy club, you know. Um, it was a, uh, I heard about it on a, on a radio. A radio uh, station was sponsoring like a, uh, you know, like a, a, a talent show. Okay. And one of the categories was, was comedy. Yeah, one of the categories was stand-up comedy. So I, I just wrote some jokes and went down there and auditioned. They, they put me on the show. Wow. So how long before you figured? Hey, yeah, I could, just like that. Yeah, how long before you figured I could do this for a living, and could quit the government job? Um, let's see. That it probably took like five years. Okay, yeah, it was about five years. And then you you dove straight into it and went to New York City, as I understand it. Yeah, yeah. I left. I left NSA and um, went to. Um, Moved well closer to New York. I couldn't afford to live in New York, so I, I lived in uh, New Jersey. Oh yeah, and okay. would you know we're going yeah, so we're going into the city and and you know doing clubs, and then I got a uh, agent who started booking me for uh, colleges because that's pretty much how you you know uh, 
pay the bills is go oh, yeah. around and do the college gigs and then you know and then you're um in the city during the rest of the time okay so when you're in the city you're doing what everybody else is doing doing a couple shows a night running all over the town uh yep yep yeah running yeah. around doing spots yeah and so did your voice develop pretty quickly then? Did you have an idea of like what you thought was how you wanted your funny persona to be or did it take some time, you know, around the clubs figuring out what it was going to how you were going to do it? It definitely took some time. I think it I think the first 6 or 7 about 7 years was me doing my uh my impression of a stand-up comic. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't develop my voice until Man, I think it was probably like right before working, you know, working uh, for Chris Rock when I started writing on the Chris Rock show. I started just, you know, like just taking some chances and just making it more personal and, you know, talking more about me and instead of just, uh, you know, just doing a bunch of funny jokes. Yeah. So how did you meet Chris Rock? How did you guys start working yeah. together? Um, in the club, yeah. And just, um, he was doing... Um, he was headlining Carolina's Comedy Club, and they booked me to open for him. But but I had bumped into him earlier, you know, okay. like at, at the comic strip. He played the comic strip a lot, so I was uh, I would bump into him up there. But when I got to open for him at Caroline for the weekend, that's when you know um, developed you know a, a bit of a friendship. So that's cool. Um, yeah. And so for writing for his uh, sitcom, did that come naturally, or did that was, was that like an adjustment? Or since you already been doing comedy, it was just you know, slightly uh, different gear change. Well, it it, it definitely was an adjustment because you know it was it was the uh, it was for, for the talk show, the HBO talk show. Oh, okay. And I, this you know, I never really, I, you know, you know, that was my first uh, writing gig. So, you know, before then, I was just writing for myself. So when it was like, okay, now you're going to write, you know, write for Chris Rock on his, his talk show. Um, it, it was. Uh, I wasn't intimidated. I, I just didn't, you know, I didn't know the process because I'd never been there before. So it was like, okay, so what what do we do? You know, we sit down and we just write jokes or what? Do we, yeah. So I just had to learn what the job, yeah, exactly what the job was. And then when it was like, hey, we're doing, you know, bits and sketches and stuff, then, uh, yeah, then I, I was, I just kind of like fell in. Plus, I was working with, um, writers who who I was already friends with just from doing stand up, you know, like Louis C.K. Uh, okay. was there, so oh wow, um, and and Louis helped me out a lot. Yeah, Louis helped me out a lot. Just you know, just showing me the ropes and and, and just kind of just spelling out what was expected, um, okay. you know, of me. So it was great. So is that a struggle though? When like you're still you're a performing stand up comedian, do you come up with something? Do you think, geez, maybe I should keep this for myself, or do you you know? Are some things more for your voice and some things be more for Chris's voice or the show's voice? And it's, it's pretty easy to distinguish those two things. Well, the thing was, like, like Chris and I, we have, you know, similar, you know, sensibilities. So it was, I was, I was like, look, I wanted, I like this job. I want to, you know, you, you, you want to get stuff on the air. That's, I mean, that's the, that's the reward, really. Um, so I would, you know, just try to write my best stuff. But, you know, I, well, it, things that he didn't use, I got to take, you know, got the, the, the leftovers. Oh, so, okay. <laughs> and I, and I would, you know, get on stage and, and do those dips. I was like, I knew that would kill. I knew that was fun, <laughs> you know, so. There you go. Um, that, that was the best part. It's like when you write jokes, 
and and he didn't use them, and then you go up to the club, and it's, especially if he's in the room and you're doing the joke that he didn't use, and you know, and they're killing, so it's pretty funny. Now, the, I I thought I was kind of late to the Wanda Sykes party, but I really wasn't because the first time I actually saw you was on a show that I really enjoyed, but it didn't last very long, called the Downer Channel. Wow, you were like that show. Yeah, we were looking for you. I know, right? <laughs> I was <Yeah>. the guy. <laughs> Well, that was about the same time that, um, well, it was a couple years after, like, the uh, the Dana Carvey show, where people were trying to do those half-hour sketch shows, and those are really hard to mm-hmm. do, and I don't know why, because people love their, I mean, people love their Saturday Night Live, they love sketch comedy that way, but for some reason, when you try to put it in prime time, I guess the audience is just very selective, you know? Yeah, I don't, I, yeah, I don't know, yeah, it's, 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 you know, really, you think about it, and no one has cracked that nut yet, it's... Yeah. It really is. Uh, it's, it's a hard format to do in prime time. It really is. I guess there's a show up in Canada called uh, "This Hour Is 22 Minutes," known as just as 22 minutes, uh-huh. and uh, they've been very successful over the years doing that exact same thing. But I guess I don't know. Maybe Canadians have a different sensibility mm-hmm. when it comes to prime time uh, sketch comedy than we do. And yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I think they're they're probably a little more uh, patient. I guess uh, I don't that, know. There you go. Yeah. Uh-huh. So how did the Downer Channel come together? Yeah. How did you guys end up, uh, because everyone's gone on, you know, it's still working and it's, it's still in the business. I see everybody else from, from time to time. Uh, you probably had the most success out of that, mm-hmm. out of those four. But uh, did you guys know each other? Were you put together by somebody? I was curious how that show came together. Yeah, they, they put us together. Um, actually, Steve Martin. And, I, and okay, that's, I thought that's so. what got me on board. Okay. Because um, I, you know, we, I, I left, um, well, Chris Fox show was ending. And... Um, well, yeah, Chris was kind of like on the fence if he if he was going to you know do another season or, season or not, and everyone was like testing whether or not they should you know get another job or whatever, and different people were leaving. So um, when Steve Martin you know wanted to meet with me, and I'm a huge you know Steve Martin fan, so it was just yes, of course. So um, he, yeah, he he put us together. And uh, how much involvement? And, and he was around a lot. He okay. was around a lot on that, you know, work on that show. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I remember some funny things. You did a lot of, um, or not a lot, of, there were only what, six episodes filmed, and I think only four aired, but um, I remember you doing some kind of person-on-the-street interview segment that was very amusing. I, I wish I could remember that part. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is the yeah. vaguest recollection of I you. I know I did, did something... You were interviewing people, and they were yeah, giving I the setups. I did, did a lot of stuff with Lance. I can't remember what yeah. it was, though. Yeah. yeah, yeah. that guy went on to write for, um, I guess, for uh, Tim Allen's show, uh, Last Man Standing. So. Mm-hmm. And I saw the, the other lady, she was on an episode of Raising Hope, and um, I've seen that other fellow around somewhere as well. That's kind of funny how that uh, the eddies of comedy kind of bring you to where they do. And uh, so how, you got... Yeah, well, Mary Lynn. Mary Lynn was on um, uh, uh, 24. Oh, okay. Oh, it took a serious turn. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, mm-hmm. I was uh, supposed to interview her for um, City Pages as well, and then it, uh, it didn't work out. I think she had to change the dates or something, and I did not end up talking to her. That's right. Yeah. Okay. It's all coming back now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then you wound up on uh, New Adventures of Old Christine. Was that, uh, they approach you, or was that just a, a gig you tried out for? They they approached me. They approached me, and uh, man, that, that was a great gig. I, I love working on that show. You know, with Julia and, yeah. uh, and and the rest of the cast, great group. And um, you know, the writing was just so you know, it, it was just so much fun to say those words and to 
and to, you know, uh, be silly with Julia. <laughs> yeah. When I was uh, 13, I think it was her first season on Saturday Night Live, I had such a crush on her. Oh, my God. And, uh, and, she's, <laughs> and she's still amazing. I, saw her, she, I watched uh, that, that episode of Comedians in Cars uh, getting coffee with Jerry Seinfeld. And boy, you could just tell she's just a wonderful person that she's really the, you know that way in uh, in real life. So I can imagine you folks had a very good time uh, on that program. Yes, yes. Uh, and um, so last comic standing, I wanted to ask you about as well. How did you uh, pick up the ball on that one? Because you've really uh, turned that into something you know very watchable from something that was you know people had a lot of questions about early on, I guess. Oh well, thank you, thank you. Yeah. Um, well, my um, the production company that I have with um, uh, Paige Hurd was my producing partner. We um, have an, a, a first look deal with uh, NBC Studios, so they they approached us as you know as part of the deal. They said, "Look, we want to bring back Last Comic Standing, and you know, uh, are you guys interested in, in taking it over?" And we said, yeah, but it has to be, you know, we want to do invitation only. Um, we want, you know, high caliber, you know, judges, you know, great hosts. So we you know, we really wanted to just elevate the, you know, the, the format. Um, because, it, I mean, it's such a great, you know, platform to put new comics out there. And also just comics who've been in the business but just haven't gotten a shot. Yeah. So it's, it's nice for them to, uh, yeah, to get national exposure and, you know, it, it, it helps their ticket sales and everything. So we were, um, we were really excited about, about doing it and they're pleased about the way it turned out. So. Yeah, I always, um, I could, you've done it now, t- uh, two or three seasons have you guys been behind it? Two. Two, okay. Two. I remember the first season uh, you guys mm-hmm. did it was that you invited a hundred comics and I looked through and I knew, about mm-hmm. half the comics, so of course I was rooting for the half that I'd interviewed, and same thing this past year. And what's interesting is like when I used to, I write for a couple different papers around the country, and occasionally I'll try to write for ones I've written for in the past, like in Denver and Arizona, and I look and see who's coming to those clubs, and it'll be like people I've never heard of, and it's nice that you could get those kind of people on mm-hmm. Last Comic Standing, because then there's people the opposite, people in Arizona probably have never heard of, I don't know, Tracy Ashley, or people like that, or Tim Slagle. Or you know, or Alex Stone, and they're like, "Oh, I should mm-hmm. look for them next time." And they can go mm-hmm. to these markets now, and they have some cash and say, "Hey, look, I've been on Last Comic Standing." So yeah, that's a that's a, been a great vehicle for them. Um, so what, what's been the right. best part of running that, of doing Last Comic? Getting the comedians the exposure, or just seeing all those funny people? Or I mean, it must be a great gig. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, we we have to sit. Well, I shouldn't say sit through. We get to watch. Um, I think like last last year we probably watched over probably over twenty eight hundred comics probably yeah because because we do a showcase all around the country and then from that showcase um, then we you know narrow that down and, and and we actually bring people into either like to New York or L A depending on you know where they are and uh, then do a showcase uh, there. So the you know so the network can also see them, and we um yeah kind of like pick our comics from there. But there's there's some comics who you know are are veterans and and we we're fans, so we just yeah. you know give them invitation. Um, but it's yeah it's it's just fun seeing seeing all these comics um you know get that exposure and um also the just the judging you know it's even listening to the the critiques that the judges are are giving um. 
them. I noticed that it, it helps me because, you know, I'm still out performing. So, um, you know, sometimes we forget the, we forget the basics, you know, so it's like, oh, oh yeah, wow, yeah. you know, that, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so I get to apply some of those notes to, you know, to my, my own material. Yeah, and I like when you um, had this the segment where you and then maybe a, a guest coach, I guess it was, would come in, like Amy Schumer, and advise the comics as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I think that's very insightful because it's very, you know, for people that uh, comedy novices out there, people do the open mics occasionally, and it's very uh, insightful, and people can be like, oh, you know, pick up a few pointers that way, you know. And and I think it kind of elevated the the level of the uh, of the comedy because I know you pointed out to some people. Uh, the one lady wanted to do like it's not a rape joke; it's a uh, it's a which a self esteem joke, and you're like, no, it's still a rape joke. <laughs> Don't do no, that. Yeah. <laughs> and they were very nice about it. I mean, it wasn't, and she was very funny, but it was nice you could just kind of steer a little bit in that direction. And uh, it's nice to have that, I guess, that mm-hmm. wisdom you can mm-hmm. share. So, what are you working on uh, these days? I mean, it seems you're always doing something. Yeah, um, like I said, I'll touring, and hopefully, I'll I'll shoot um, shoot a special in the in the spring. Um, and, uh, I'm doing guest, uh, roles on, um, Blackish on ABC and also, um, some episodes of House of Lies with Don Cheadle for Showtime. Oh, okay, cool. Wow. So you're very, you are, you are yeah. very busy. So on stage still talking about yourself, talking about your life. I know that you're, uh, it's probably crazy busy on yeah. both sides, the personal and the professional. Yep. Yep. Yep, it's all about uh, you know, like what's just what, what's going on, what's going on in the world, what's happening with me. So, uh, it's it's fun. I'm, I'm really enjoying where uh, where this you know the the, the new material is uh, how, how it's working right now. Cool. And you're married to a French woman, and my mom is French, so um, yes, we kind of have that. Ah, in, yeah. So, how did you meet her? I'm curious. Were you, were you over in France, or was she? Um, we we met um we met on uh, uh, Fire Island. Out in New York. Okay. Well, very good. Yeah, a couple. Yeah, friends. Friends introduced us. Oh, very good. Okay. Well, I won't keep you any further. Yeah. Anytime I have a busy schedule, and uh, this is really terrific. Thanks for doing this. Uh, this will be in print and city beat uh, when Thank you're you. in town, and uh, the podcast will drop. I think Sunday. I think this episode will drop. And uh, boy, this has been a lot of fun. I really enjoyed talking to you, Wanda. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Bye bye. Okay. Bye bye. Thanks again to Wanda Sykes for being on the show. You can catch Wanda December 11th at the Arnoff Center for the Arts in Cincinnati, Ohio. And then she goes up the road to Columbus December 12th to perform at the Palace Theater. Then she takes the holidays off and is back on the road beginning in January. Go to WandaSykes.com for all your Wanda Sykes information needs. Okay, the uh, usual credits, of course, uh, PF Tape Recorder logo designed by Dan Coble. Dan and Megan still trying to get their podcast put together. I'm very jealous. They have a, a space dedicated in their house to actually putting up their uh, recording equipment and getting all that set up, uh, but they have three kids, so finding the time, of course, has been been the trick. Um, as soon as they're uh, back on uh, the air, though, I will let you know, or on the air, as it were, back on the internet, I guess, I'll let you know about that. Uh, original music composed and performed for PFT Recorder by John Baropoulos and Doug O'Connor with a little help from me. I uh, believe that is all the business we have to take care of. I, I think I'm forgetting something, but uh, I can't remember what it is right now, so we'll move on to Song of the Week. This is the second single from Church's new album, Every Eye Open. Boy, this should have been the leadoff single. I think this is the best track on the album. And this is a song called Empty Threat. It is the Song of the Week on PF's Tape Recorder. So long, and thanks for listening. <laughs>